Uh, so we're going to be in the book of Joel today. We're in week three of a four-week series on Joel. If you've got your Bible or your app, uh, go there now. We're going to be in Joel 2, 23, uh, and we'll finish up the chapter today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's totally fine because all of the verses and everything that we look at are going to be on the screen above my head. Uh, but I encourage you this week, get a Bible. If you want a Bible that'll live on your phone and hang out in your pocket or your purse all week, uh, you go to your app store. U version is the one that I recommend, Y-O-U version. Uh, and that's, uh, that's got the New Living Translation, which is what we use. It's a very up-to-date uh, wording of things so that you can read it and understand what God has to say to you all at the same time. It's excellent. Uh, so yesterday was a great day in my house uh, because we had tacos. Like, I love tacos. You want to make me happy? Tacos is the way to do it. Tacos and college football, which also started yesterday. Uh, so yesterday was a very awesome, great, happy day for me. The thing I like about tacos is because they, I like them small. Uh, and that is because you can always go back and have more tacos. So I, we, we started out, we had salad, and then we had tacos. And so I, I built one and tried to fold it together. It didn't work. It all fell on the floor or fell on the plate. So I finished the tortilla part and then ate up the rest. It was great. And then went back for round two, round three, round four. Lots of tacos coming into me. And the thing that I love about that is because you can eat as many as you want, and then you're full, like you're good. You are done for a number of hours because I just like ate my body weight in tacos. It was great. Other food isn't like that so much. Uh, I had some food for uh, some food for lunch. It was great. It's one of my favorite foods. But the thing about it is I know that eating this, I'm going to want more lunch two hours later. Uh, so I had that. Uh, and then two hours later, I went back in the fridge and had some pizza uh, and had lunch number two. So uh, it was great with the tacos because you're full. Today, we're going to talk about what it is uh, that fills us as Christians. Uh, what is it that fills us up, gives us a good place with God and sends us out on mission in the world. I love those Snickers commercials that you are not you when you are hungry. That is 100% true in my life. Uh, when I get hungry, I get hangry, uh, which is hunger plus anger. Uh, and so food just keeps everything at rest and good. Uh, and so what we're talking about with fullness today, everything uh, that is good in the Bible and in the life of a Christian, it all starts with Jesus. So that's where, where we are going to start when we're looking at what it is that fills us today. And Jesus, who is God with skin on, came to take back what the devil stole. Okay, this happened at the very beginning of the Bible, the very beginning of human history. Adam and Eve, our first parents, they're put by God into a garden to maintain the garden and love and worship God and walk with God every day. And that lasted for like a page. Uh, and then the devil came in and led them to say, hey, if you do these things, uh, certain things will happen. He hid the truth and he stole from them their relationship with God. And so since the very, very beginning of time up until now, uh, we are constantly working back to what was initially stolen from us as humans. Jesus came to take back what was stolen by the devil, to take back that love relationship with God, to take back right standing with God, to take back righteousness and honor that God has for us. Jesus came to take back from what the devil stole from us. And this was Jesus's mission all along. This was not a byproduct. This was something that he set out on from the very beginning. This is why I'm here. You look in Luke chapter 4 <clears throat> at Jesus's first like sermon in church. 
He walks into the synagogue in his hometown. It's his turn to read the reading of that day. So he walks up, takes a scroll from the book of Isaiah, and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to them, began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying from now on out, I, as I go and as I do ministry and as I live and ultimately die for the salvation of everyone who believes in him, Jesus is saying, I'm taking back what the devil has stolen. So as Jesus walked around as God with skin on, as the physical human representation of what God would be like, who goes where God would go, who loves people that God would love, who interacts with people the way that God would act with them. He's going to take back what the devil stole, whether it's physical infirmities, whether it's people who have been cast out of society. Jesus is saying, no, bring them in because as people with a pulse, you're all children of God. And ultimately, to lay down his life for our salvation uh, and to rise again, defeating every enemy possible. Jesus is saying, this is my mission. I'm here to take back what the devil has stolen. And there are three promises in the book of Joel and what we're going to look at today that Jesus fulfills, things that Jesus does and brings to absolute completion uh, in our lives. And the first one of those is the promise to provide what we can't provide for ourselves. So Joel 2.23, it says, Rejoice, you people of Jerusalem. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for the rain he sends demonstrates his faithfulness. Once more the autumn rains will come as well as the rains of spring. The threshing floors will again be piled high with grain and the presses will overflow with new wine and olive oil. I love it that he starts out with rain because that's something that we can't control. Okay, we can't order and schedule rain on Amazon Prime and it's going to come two days later. But if you spend over $35 on your rain, it could be there the next day. It's not that. We are completely helpless when it comes to rain. You look at the situation of the valley from uh, about two years ago when we had very little water. And so churches start to pray and say, okay, God, we need water. You're the one who can provide for this. We want rain. We need rain. It does so much for us, including jobs for people. God, we need rain. And so what happened last winter? We got a ton of rain. I feel like we're on like a five-year plan of no one being able to complain about when it's rainy outside because we had none and God provided water for us. And so Jesus is here saying, <clears throat> through the prophet Joel, that he's going to come and he's going to do what we can't do for ourselves. And that starts and is most evident on the cross, where Jesus gave his perfect life for our completely imperfect lives. That when we were separated from God by our sin, Jesus came and he died the death that we deserved on a cross. And he took our punishment and we took his right standing with God. It's called the beautiful exchange where we give God our horribleness, our worst, and we receive his best. He's doing what we can't do for ourselves. He's going to take away shame and guilt. He's going to cover that with forgiveness. The second thing is, is the promise to restore our relationship. Verse 25, he says, I will give back to you what you lost. And then he talks about these locusts. Locusts were something that came in chapter 1. We talked about it two weeks ago where it's judgment coming against God's people because of the ways that they had run away from him. And he's saying, I'm going to send these to bring you back to me, to remind you of how far you've wandered away so that you can come back. The door is always open. If you have a pulse, you're not too far gone, but the, the door is always open for you to come back. 
He says, I came, I will give back to you what, what you lost to the locusts, the swarming locusts, the hopping locusts, the stripping locusts, and the cutting locusts. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. He's saying, I'm here to restore your relationship with God. And it's great because we just talked about being forgiven, but being forgiven means that there was something that happened against the person who did the forgiving. So when God looks at us, if we were only forgiving, forgiven, he could still see the things that we had done. But instead it says that we are justified by believing in Jesus. Justification means that, that our sin has been dealt with, but then our, our right standing with God has com- been completely washed over. That we're not just people who sinned and were forgiven, but we were sinners, we've been forgiven, and now God sees us as right standing with God. A guy who, who understands this better than I do, he wrote in a book, he says, being forgiven implies that I am guilty and my crime is not counted, but being justified implies that I've been tried and found innocent. The judge says not guilty. It declares a person just. It's not a process. It is immediate. It's God in a moment declaring us just and righteous. That means that anything that we bring in here today, anything that could be in your head that is telling you, convincing you, man, you can't go to church. You don't belong there. If they knew who you were and what you had done, yeah, we're going to rejoice together with you at the fact that God forgives people and justifies people, and we have all been those people before. But we were forgiven, we were cleansed, we were justified, we were made right with God. And so God is saying here, I will restore that relationship. The third promise is the promise to adopt us and to change our identity. Verse 26, he says, once again, you will have all the food you want and you will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. He says, you're no longer a people with no name, a people with no family, a people with no father. Now I will be your name, your family, your father forever. It will never stop. You're now my people. I'm giving you a new identity, a new last name, a new way to act. And we start acting like family. We start acting like God, our Father, God, our Savior, and we become Christians. It's like, like with, with physical kids, with human kids. So Anna and I, we have three kids. We've got Eden, who's nine. We have Ellie, who's seven. And we have Micah, uh, who's three and a half. And we can see elements of our own personalities in all of them. I move constantly. I'm active doing stuff all the time. Micah never stops running. He is all on, all the time, redlining it forever. Uh, Ellie, our middle daughter, has a lot of my wife's personality. Anna loves to play devil's advocate. I will come in or come home with a situation that I am all hyped up about. That is clearly this thing is an ABC thing. And anyone else who sees it otherwise is completely just not seeing reality. And Anna says, well, have you thought about it as like a ZYX situation? I'm like, yes, and it's wrong. Well, no, it's not. You can think about it this way, think about this way. And she's like a constant defense attorney pushing me to see things more than what I do. So you push that forward a generation. And now we have Ellie, uh, the, seventh, or the seven-year-old, uh, who is a constant defense attorney in life. So she loves to hang out with her little brother. Sometimes her little brother does things that are wrong, which means that he needs to get a spank and a timeout. And so this happened the other day where he did something that was clearly wrong. I put him on timeout, and Ellie comes in and says, well, Dad, did you know? that such and such happened, and Micah shouldn't really be on timeout right now. Like, you're just like your mother. (laughs) In all the right ways, this is good. But she's acting like her family. She's acting like the people that she's seen. 
She's embracing her identity. She is the middle daughter of, or she is the middle child of a middle child. Like this is just who she is. And so she's, she's stepping into it completely. For us as Christians, God says, you're never gonna be without a family because I'm gonna be your family. I'm gonna be your father. I'm gonna be your last name. I'm gonna give you a new identity. Never again will my people be disgraced. That means never again will we feel alone because in those moments of aloneness, God comes with his spirit to remind us that we are not alone. They might be temporary, but God's reminding for us never runs out, never gives up. Fourthly is the promise uh, to invite us into a lifelong joy-filled relationship with God. Verse 27, he says, Then you will know that I am among my people Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. Never again will my people be disgraced, he reminds us. He says, I'm going to live among you. I will be there constantly. You might go, go places where you're alone or be among people where you feel alone. But in all reality, I am living in you all the time. There's nowhere where you could go that is apart from my presence. I think this week, the, the time that I felt the most alone uh, was on Monday uh, when I decided I would cut my son's hair myself. Uh, I, I don't work at Supercuts or never have I ever. Uh, like I go there, I pay them money, I hold him, we watch videos on the phone uh, while they perfectly cut his hair. Uh, but I, I had the idea that on Monday, as soon as school started and the girls were there and we walked home and stuff, uh, I would take Micah to Supercuts because everyone who had been there for the last week getting their school appropriate haircut and everything would be at school. So we pull up and I think this was an amazing idea and so did like seven other old guys who were there already sitting in chairs, already waiting. And I look at his current inability uh, to sit still and wait and I'm like, no, we're, we're not doing this. We're going somewhere else because I'm not gonna wrangle him and wrestle him uh, while all these guys get their haircuts. We're gonna go find a different place to get our haircut. So we went to check out another place. And again, same thing. There's, there's this massive demographic of people who agree with me that the first day of school is the best time to get a haircut. Uh, so I've, my window of when he's going to get his haircut is shrinking really quickly, and I decide there's one way that this is happening, and this is with him and me. Now, we've done this before, okay? I've been cutting my own hair for about five years now, and every month or so, I'll have a bad one, but that's what happens when you cut your hair 12 times a month. Um, and so I, I was buzzing his hair a while ago, and we did like the short on the sides and a little bit longer on the top, and then accidentally short like right here because I forgot that the guard was off. Uh, there's a picture in my office to prove it, allegedly. So I thought, we can do this. We can do this. We want to do the undercut thing where you can comb his hair and have the short on the sides and still a good comb on the top. So I, I got it all done, pinned it up on the side so I could shave around it, uh, and I took a halfway picture so I could send it to Anna. This was 100% for me, all right? Yes, good that she gets to see her cute son and everything, but I wanted to see good, or I wanted to hear back good. This is going really well. I didn't want to hear back, what have you done? And so she texts me back, good. I'm like, yes, I'm not alone. She's so excited because she loves his hair short. So if all else fails and I butcher this thing, he gets the matching haircut with dad and she will be happy. It'll be good. And so we went back and put, put the long hair down and cut the stuff on top and, and the final product, I think he looks pretty dang good. We got a picture of that. Yep, there we go. He's happy. I am happy. Dad no longer feels alone. There might be one hair that's like right here that's really long. Just don't look at that. It'll be gone uh, soon. Probably by next week we'll, we'll even that thing out. 
But like I was, I was helpless. I knew I had to take care of this. There's a window, it's shrinking. And even in the middle of it, uh, God, God came through. I was able to get the haircut done. And for our lives, all the time, there are going to be areas where we feel like we are alone, where we feel like we uh, are hamstrung, where we feel like we are up against the wall. And God's reminding us, no, 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 you're never alone. And the reason we're never alone is what we're going to spend the next uh, bit of our time together today on. And that is through the whole person and work and presence of the Holy Spirit. He said in verse 27, uh, Joel did, talking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, now you will know that I am among my people Israel. What that means for us, I am among my people Israel, is for us who have lived post-resurrection, after Jesus came, lived, died, was rose again and ascended to heaven. That means that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have God who is in the presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. If you look at the very beginning of the Bible, God just went from place to place and he would talk to people and he'd call their name and he'd tell them what to do and tell them who he's going to be in their life. Uh, about a thousand years before Jesus, there's a guy named Solomon who builds a massive temple for the Lord, and that was the place where God lived. Before that, he moved around uh, like a hipster in a bunch of tents that God would live in that were especially made for him, and now he goes to live in the temple. And that is a great place. It's this massive, beautiful building that is built to house God. And so God was believed to live in the temple. That was where people would go to meet with God. And then Israel, God's chosen people, decided to walk away from him by sinning in a ton of different areas and bringing fake gods into that temple, into God's holy place. And so what God did was God stepped back and put up his hands and said, as you have wanted other things to rule you, I will let other things rule you. And so countries came in and they leveled the temple. And this idea of who God is and this place where God lived was now gone. And so what happened when Jesus came into the scene was Jesus comes into the world as God with skin on. That now people can relate to God because who Jesus is. And, and we know the story, or if you know the story, uh, Jesus ended up being killed. He died on a cross for our sins. Why do Christians love crosses? Because it's the picture of God bringing us into relationship with him. Jesus is dead for three days, and then he decides, I'm not going to be dead anymore. He rises from the dead. He walks out of his tomb, and he talks to people and is around people for 40 days, and then he goes back into heaven. He goes back to heaven. There's a 10-day period, and then the Holy Spirit comes down. And what the Holy Spirit is, is it's the third person of the Trinity. There's God the Father, there's Jesus the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is how we come to know God now. Because none of us can be in God's presence without dying. We are sinful people who are made right by Jesus. Jesus lived, died, rose from the dead, and went back to heaven. So, so far we are 0 for 2. The Holy Spirit is what lives inside of us and teaches us about Jesus. Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. He says, when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I have told you. Two chapters later, he says, when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. This is the power of God, the person of God, the nearness of God, the love of God living inside of each and every one of us. Jesus tells us that, that when we believe in who he is, when we become Christians, that rivers of living water will flow out of us. And by living water, he means the Holy Spirit. That means that as we gather here today, in this room, we have 55 or so little Holy Spirits that are inside of us. 
So we're like, great, it's here, it's good. The best part about that is when we go home today, that's gonna be 55 homes and bedrooms and places where people gather that are gonna be filled by the Holy Spirit. Next time you go to work, that means you're taking him to your job. That means from this place and all of us who've brought the Holy Spirit here, who bring it home and are now bringing it to work, that means there's tons of opportunities and mission posts of the Holy Spirit through your school, through your job. And God is working through us to see people come to know Jesus. Why? Because as Christians, we hold the Holy Spirit inside of us. It is God in us. And we're talking about the Holy Spirit today because that's the person of the Trinity, God, Father, Father God, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit that kind of gets treated like the people who sell direct TV at Costco, all right? You know they're there, you'll talk about them, you won't make eye contact with them because you're afraid that if you get sucked in, like you are lost for forever, all right? They want to talk to you about everything. Hey, excuse me, how are you doing today? I'm like, great, good, look down. Sometimes I'll take out my phone without it being on and saying, yeah, how's it going? How's it going? Good, all right, put it back down just because you don't want to talk to him. With the Holy Spirit, he gets kind of pushed into a corner because we're convinced that once he rules our lives, everything about us is going to be crazy. And that's not at all what God has for us. There's a good life in the Holy Spirit. There are gifts in the Holy Spirit. Uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, in Romans 12, and in 1 Peter 4, you can jot all that down. Uh, the people who are writing in, in the Bible at that point talk about gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are things that God puts inside of us that build up the church that we would do without being asked. I think that's the best, simplest way to explain it. I love to play music so I can play on the worship team uh, at a church and I can help lead worship. I like to talk to people so I can greet on Sunday mornings. I like to talk from a microphone so I can be up here and we can open and look at what God's word says to us each day. These are things that I would do without being asked. And they're things that God uses each and every one of us to do to build up the church. It's spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I'm going to live within you. I'm going to take the things that make up who you are and use those to build my church. And so Joel starts talking about this. And he starts talking about it in a way that shows God's love for all people. Joel 2.28, he says, Then after doing all these things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. He's taken every possible barrier and saying, doesn't matter, they're going to get the Holy Spirit. Is anyone too old? No. Is anyone too young? No. You say you're a Christian. You say Jesus died for my sins and the Holy Spirit is lit like a little candle inside of us that never goes out. He's saying it's there. And what this does is it, it, it starts to, to make us more and more like Jesus. And as we become more and more like Jesus, that idea of the Holy Spirit being poured out on all people who claim the name of Christ really begins to speak light and, and understanding into everything that we see going around in the news about racial conflict today. Because there is a Christian understanding and a Christian theology of how racism is supposed to look. Jesus is on top, and then it is a seven billion way tie for last place as we voluntarily settle that we're going to be the bottom and we're going to lift up everyone above us to come to know Jesus. This means that people who don't look like us or people who don't act like us or people who aren't from the same places that we're from, whose skin doesn't look ours, doesn't look like ours, aren't any different from us when it comes to God. That God looks at all people and says, all people have sinned. All people fall short of the glory of God, especially 
all people. And he says that's who Jesus has come for, is for all people. And so we look at what's going on uh, with white white supremacy today, and we see that it is demonically driven, that it is satanic, and it's nothing about who Jesus is. Some of the organizations claim to be Christians, and they're not. It's not representative of who God is. It's not indicative of the way that God looks at people. And we see that right here in Joel. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. The all means all He's saying, from this, I'm going to lead you into truth. Book of John, he says that the Holy Spirit is going to come like an advocate. The same word that he uses there in the original language is the word for lawyer. Okay, you might think lawyers are horrible until you need one. And then once you have one, he's the person who gives you advice through everything. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in your heart. He talks to you and says, hey, this is what I want you to do in this situation. This is who I want you to talk to. This is how I want you to live. This is a website that I want you to close and never go back to. Just throw your computer in the pool. It's better than looking at that stuff. It shows us God's love for all people. Secondly, it shows us God's power poured out over everyone who asks. Okay, the, the birth of the Holy Spirit, the birth of, or the really beginning of the Holy Spirit comes in the book of Acts chapter two uh, from verses one, like all the way through the end of the chapter. And there's a bunch of followers of Jesus. Uh, Jesus has already gone back to heaven. They're waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit, not really knowing what it's going to be, but knowing that it's going to be good. And, and what happens in Acts uh, really changes the, the course of history. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages or tongues, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. What happens next is, is they're so excited. They've, they've just found this new gift, this new empowerment from the Holy Spirit, and they go out into the city telling everyone around them the good news about who Jesus is in languages that they didn't know previously. This happened on the festival of Pentecost. It was a thing that brought everyone to Jerusalem anyway. So you've got all these people from different, different groups who spoke different languages. And the disciples, this group of people who spoke one language, have now been filled by the Holy Spirit, given a new language. And they go out into the city proclaiming the good news of who Jesus is in completely new languages. And people are amazed because they're hearing God's word to them in a word that they understand, in a language that they understand. And God still continues to do this today. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's how God comes in and takes control of us because he's now in the inside. And he will give us a new language, a language that we we haven't sworn in, a language that we haven't lied in, a language that we haven't told somebody often. And he says, this is how you and I are going to communicate. This is how I'm going to build you up, how I'm going to strengthen you, and how I'm going to encourage you now. And the Holy Spirit changes people. It's poured out on everyone who asks. You look at you look at the people in Acts 2. They weren't these awesome, amazing mega missionaries. It's a group of people that, that 10 days prior were huddled together in houses with doors locked because the Romans had just killed Jesus and they were afraid that they were next. Peter, the spokesperson uh, in the stuff in Acts 2, who became the first leader of the church Catholics, look at him as the first pope. He couldn't stand up to a junior high girl who asked him if he was a follower of Jesus. He cussed her out and ran away and said, I don't even know him. Like, that's our leader. 
But what happened to that? What, what happened in that moment was the Holy Spirit came in and completely changed him. Peter went from scared about everything to, to somebody who was willing to give his life for the sake of the gospel. And all of Jesus' followers at that point did the same. And so when Peter gets up and stands on the day of Pentecost and explains everything that happened, why are these people running around speaking new languages? He quotes from the book of Joel. He says, just like our ancestor Joel said, that my spirit will be poured out on, on all people, on sons and daughters and old men and, old men and young men, that everyone, even slaves, are going to know about God because of the Holy Spirit living inside of them. It's the birth of the church, God's people. They had just seen Jesus. They had just seen God with skin on. And now they see God coming out of people. People speaking words of God, speaking in languages that are given by God. And it completely changes the world. Because God's people have now been given the power to love people the way that God does. And this shows us God's desire to work through us throughout our whole lives. I mean, Joel here, he's doing everything he can, again, to abolish any type of, well, yeah, that's not me. Which means that, that if you're here today and you've got a rough past and you think, would God ever really work through me? Or maybe you've got a rough present. You're like, I don't know, I don't know if God would, yeah, the answer is yes. I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Maybe that was you for a time, maybe when you were growing up, and, and now you used to have a rich, uh, vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit, but not anymore. That, 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 that season is gone in your life. Not anymore. Because he's saying from beginning to end, if you're not dead, you're not done. And there's work that God wants to do through you still. There's a relationship that God wants to have with you still in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. It might have been stolen by the devil through choices that we make in our lives, but Jesus is saying, I'm here to give it back to you today. And finally, we choose to live empowered and on mission because all of this is for the sake of people who don't yet know Jesus. Since the very beginning, the Holy Spirit has been poured out for the sake of people who are coming to know the Lord. We like to say here that the church is the only institution in the world that exists for the benefit of its non-members. That means that we are a church that is focused inward on caring for each other and focused outward on bringing people into a relationship with Jesus. That's what we are all about here. We are all about caring for each other here and about bringing in those who don't yet know Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is poured out for that. God gives us gifts and boldness and builds us up for that. The Apostle Paul, a guy who went from hating Christians to being a pastor, he says that, the, that speaking in tongues, speaking in an unknown, unknown language that's given to us by God is for the benefit of the believer because it builds us up. Now, what does the church need more? What does our world need more than a bunch of believers who are built up in who they are in Jesus and built up in God's power to rule and reign over their lives? They're built up in God's power for the sake of people who don't yet know Jesus. That gets me excited. And Joel, quote, Joel ends with something that should focus us well heading into uh, our week, heading into a season with kickoff. He says, And I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn, to blood, will turn blood red before that great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For some on Mount Zion and Jerusalem will escape, just as the Lord has said. These will be among the survivors whom the Lord has called. 
He's saying there's going to be, there's going to come a day where disaster is going to happen. And for all of us in our lives, there's going to be a day where we die and we go to face Jesus. And we're going to say either, yes, I have followed you. Yes, I know that you forgave me of my sins. Or we're going to say, I did things my way. And the reason that we can say that we said yes to Jesus, that we followed Jesus, was because at some point in our lives, somebody told us about Jesus. It could have been your parents at home. It could have been somebody on a stage like this. It could have been somebody who walked up to you at the mall and said, do you want to know about Jesus? I mean, it could have been anything. But at some point, they were empowered. They were focused outward. They were gifted. They were sent by the Holy Spirit. And for us, we look at these things in the book of Joel. We look at what's going on in the world around us. And we see the need for Christians who are on fire, empowered by the Holy Spirit to make a difference. And we can be those people. God says, I'm going to send my spirit on all people. And I'm going to build them up. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to release them to go into their world and make a difference. And as we see things like blood and fire and columns of smoke, the sun becoming dark and the moon turning blood red before that great and terrible day of the Lord, man, you got to also know that there are God-fearing people who are going around ministering to people around them, spreading the name of who Jesus is, spreading the good news of who Jesus is to make a difference in their world. And God says, I, I see you today. And I want to let you know through my Holy Spirit that I'm choosing you, I'm using you to do that. And for me, I, I grew up knowing about the Holy Spirit, that he's God who lives inside of us. Um, my parents never did anything to say like, oh, be worried about the Holy Spirit. That was just something that I brought in uh, to my own theology, completely independent of them. Uh, and I started coming to Mountain View and, and started getting to know more Christians. And I heard about this thing, speaking in tongues. I thought that that meant that your head pops up off your body and your eyes roll back in your head uh, and fire comes out of your mouth. And we call this good as Christians. And so I was really off-put by it. Uh, and then I met people who actually had a vibrant love relationship with God and experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I found out that they were normal. Uh, and, and the one that really pushed me over the edge uh, was my wife, Anna. We had had a discussion about it. We had had a fight where I said, I don't want to speak in tongues. I don't want to know about the Holy Spirit, uh, thinking that like I was going to get jumped by the Holy Spirit one day and he was going to start forcing on me gifts that I didn't want, uh, which isn't biblical whatsoever. Uh, but I claimed it as my own. And so uh, I remember coming home from church one day. She was already home. I had stayed late for some stuff. And she said, I have something I want to tell you, which could mean a number of things, right? And so she says, I, I want you to know that I speak in tongues. And I immediately, like all of my framework and everything that I had put together around who the Holy Spirit is and what this head popping off fire eyes, like all that stuff was, crumbled. It was gone. And so a couple days later, I was meeting with a mentor guy. Uh, we were meeting at the Starbucks at Fowler and Herndon, so you can picture that in your head. Uh, and I walked in that day and said, okay, I want to learn about the Holy Spirit. I want to learn about speaking in tongues. So he said, okay, let's go outside. Uh, and so we went to the, the bench that's right next to Cold Stone. Uh, you, you can think about that. Cold Stone, that's Ken's place for the Holy Spirit. I have a friend of mine who uh, learned about the Holy Spirit in a maximum security prison as he was there visiting people. I have Cold Stone. I win. Uh, and so he said, okay, I'm going to pray for you. And I prayed with him, uh, and I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit that day. And, and how that happens typically, or, or how it happens a lot of times, is that when we ask for the Holy Spirit, he's going to come in the form of tongues, uh, in languages that we don't understand. And it's a perfect 
holy language uh, that's set aside from God. Again, we've never sworn in it. We've never lied in it. We've never uh, told someone off in it. It's a pure relationship with God that God uses to speak and to communicate to us. And it was something that changed my life. And the reason that it changed my life is because I think we're together in this, that we could pinpoint every single one of our own shortcomings, everything that we do wrong, where we could say, man, God could never use me because of insert list here. And what we see is the same God who wrote the Bible, the God who changed human history, the God who invaded our lives in the person of Jesus and is making us new every day, works through us through the role of the Holy Spirit works through us in power, shows us who we are, fills us for ministry through the Holy Spirit. So we could bring in any list of I can't, and God counters that by saying, I will fill all people with my spirit. And you'll do amazing things. You'll be gifted for this, and you'll change the world. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that loves us. That's the God who invaded human history in the person of Jesus and left us with the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to make a difference in us every single day as we say yes to him and as we follow him. So we're gonna respond to that today. Worship team is gonna come up. We're gonna have some people on the sides uh, who are ready to pray with you, who are ready to lead you through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so I encourage you, if that's something you want to experience today, it could be asking for the gift of tongues. It could be asking for a gift of evangelism, a gift of prophecy where you're speaking out God's words for other people into their lives. It could be a gift of words of knowledge is how to show people that God is real well because God wants to tell you this. And just come up and ask for that. Just say, this is what I want to experience today. We're going to have them on the side. We're also going to have the floor open here in the front. Uh, Why do we always do that, you might ask? We do that because it's a way of us humbling ourselves and responding physically to what's going on in our heart. Just kneel kneel or stand and just say, God, this is where I need more of your Holy Spirit. This is where I'm on empty, and I want to be filled by you to make a difference. Everything that I am, I'm placing at your feet, and I want to be used by you in this area. And as we do that, God is going to be faithful to fill us. What's he say again? He says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. So Father, we stand on that verse today. We stand on you as an outpouring God, as a God that loves us, as Jesus who came for us, as our Savior who didn't consider equality with God as something to cling to, but instead lowered himself, took on the form of a servant to come to bring us into a relationship with God, to forgive our sins. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins, to change you from the inside of you to the outside of you, then I want to give you that chance today. And I'm going to count to three, and when I say three, if you're ready to say yes to Jesus for the first time, to find forgiveness in your life for the first time, then I just want you to look at me and raise your hand. You are not saying you're perfect. You're agreeing with all of us that, that we're men and women who have been saved and set free by Jesus who loves us. So one, God loves you. God always has, always will. He's never flinched in loving you. And today he's calling you to follow him. Two, there are things in all of our lives where we say, no, thanks God, I'm doing it my way. That's called sin. And Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin. And three, today's your day to say, I'm ready for a relationship with Jesus. Is there anyone like that? Where today's your day to say yes to Jesus. Just look at me and raise your hand. 
Okay, I see you where you are. There's gonna be somebody at the end of the service to come pray with you. Stay where you are. They're gonna find you. It's the best decision you could ever make. Is there anyone else like that where today's your day to say yes to Jesus? All right, so I encourage us. Let's, let's be people who respond today. Let's stand. There's gonna be people on the side to pray with you. The front is open for us to come and declare our dependence on God, asking for more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's worship and respond.